Hi, it's Rebecca Whitman, your host of the Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant Show. I'm a top-rated life coach, an international best-selling author, and a multi-passionate entrepreneur. I'm on a mission to help you go from burned out to balanced, beautiful, and abundant. The experts on this show will help you achieve work-life balance so that you can experience abundance in seven pillars of life, spirituality, health, emotions, romance, mindset, social, and financial life. When you have all seven pillars of life in alignment, you are balanced, beautiful, and abundant. Let's go. Hello, Mike Acker. Acker. Welcome to the Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant Show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to a conversation with you. And to all of your audience, hello. Thank you so much for being a part of this about this audience and looking forward to giving you something valuable today too. Awesome. Well, welcome everyone to the Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant Show. I am your host, Rebecca Whitman. We are taking you from overworked and burned out to Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant. And I'm excited to tell you about my amazing guest. Mike Acker is an executive communication coach a keynote speaker, an author of 10 books, including the best-selling book, Speak With No Fear. Mike coaches business professionals to lead and speak with confidence. He teaches how to overcome insecurity and exclusion in a cross-cultural setting. So tell us your story, Mike. How did you go from Growing up in Mexico to being an international keynote speaker and best-selling author, tell us a little bit about your journey. One of the things I love is when people ask me, why should I work with you? And one of the reasons why is because I didn't have this naturally. So a lot of times we we look at somebody and we go, man, that person is just a natural. They're just absolutely amazing. They do it quick easy. Everything they do just turns to gold. I'm not like them. Well, great, because I'm not that person. And really, if you go back to my story and why I'm relatable in my books in these different areas is because I had to learn. So as a, as a kid, I had a speech impediment and I had to put in the work to actually develop the muscles so that I could overcome my inability to say sounds like ja. I could even differentiate between shoulder and soldier. Like those words sounded the same and I couldn't, I didn't know which one I was saying. It was very difficult. And so then I overcome that. My, my dad comes home one night, we're eating meatloaf around the round table. And he says, I quit my job. We're moving to Mexico. So we went from having a nice life as my dad was an attorney down to now we're going to be in Mexico. And I get there and I couldn't learn the language. I, I struggled. I struggled. And so my dad and I came up with this idea of let me go to a school. So I thought I was going to go to like a nice prep school where they would really have patience with an American. But he brought me to an inner city, all Mexican school, enrolled me and left me there. And I'm in the courtyard, about 800 kids, teachers, everybody surround me, point their fingers at me, laughing at me. This is 1990. They had never seen an American in that part of the city. Wow. And they're pointing their fingers at this blonde, pale, blue-eyed, skinny kid. And I'm wearing like I'm wearing clothes from like, you know, run DMC inspired. So <laughs> I did not fit in to that area. 
And I'd get up in front of people and people would laugh and it would change how I thought about myself and the insecurities. The insecurities were so intense, so intense that I would actually get psychosomatic fevers so that I wouldn't have to go to school. Like my, my fear, my insecurity, my nervousness would cause me to get sick so that I wouldn't have to go. Thankfully, I eventually overcame that as well. I mean, it took a long time. I actually ended up going to talk to a counselor for a while about some of the insecurities and the change of identity it brought. And I moved back to the United States and had to overcome a whole bunch of very, very embarrassing situations and failures. So I had this speech impediment. I had this, this trial and error and this incredible insecurity in, in front of people. And then all these failures and these embarrassing situations, like being on stage and calling a 50 year old woman old. It's like, I'm like 26 called her that. I also told people when I was 26 in, a, in an anecdote till the story is like, yeah, let's look at what Jesus and this prostitute are talking about, which is interesting <laughs> because I never think about a prostitute having anything to teach me. And all of a sudden the whole entire room lost it. And just again and again, putting my foot in my mouth. So where do I go from there? Here's what I would say to people that there's three things I learned. This is in my newest book, Speak with Confidence. It came out from a major publisher in December. But there's three things I learned that are the three benchmarks of confidence and communication. So if you're tuning into Instagram or you're on Facebook or you're listening to the podcast afterwards, here are the three sources of confidence. If you want to get better in your communication, if you want to get better on stage and off stage, because these are truths. So they relate to you, whether you're on stage or off stage, here are the three sources of confidence communication, identity, message, and skills. Now I can unpack those, but let me just take a quick moment and pause right here. Okay. So right here, where do you feel like you have, and Rebecca, where do you think your audience feels like they lack the most confidence in it. Is it in their job life, professional life, being up on stage? Where do you think where do you think our audience here lacks the most amount of confidence? I would say in live video on social media. Okay. So your audience is saying, I want to get onto live video. I want to be on social media. Right. And and you're feeling like you might be lacking confidence. Okay. The three sources then identity, how you perceive yourself when you're in front of others messaging, how you organize your thoughts for others, and skills, how you externalize what is internal. In other words, how you're being picked up and perceived. If you're looking at the the videos right here, both Rebecca and I have lighting. Both of us are framed in what's called, if, if you're familiar with the rule of three in photography, that you break up every picture into a grid. And you notice that both Rebecca and I, our head is on the first third parallel. So if you think about what I'm saying right there is we're skillfully putting ourselves on screen, which makes us then feel better about it. So yes. three sources of confidence, skills is one of them. If you know you're doing things that connect, that will help you feel better and more confident about what you're doing. So your your virtual setup, your tonality, your your expressions, your mouth, your enunciation, your articulation, your eye contact, your your posturing, your wardrobe, all of those external things. The more you can reflect on that and the more you can pick up breathing, pacing, cadence, intonation, all of those things, 
the more confident you will feel. Do you know what what the number one thing I say again and again when when I'm working with clients are? It's it's a small thing. Any idea on what is the number one little speaking tip I give people? To talk to one person that you know when you're when you're talking to the camera, so you're not thinking of like a macro audience. You're just talking as if you're talking intimately to one friend. That is 100% one of the ones I say, but the number one that I say is pause. In fact, what you just said there is actually one of my seven strategies in my first book that I wrote, Speak With No Fear. But the, the number one thing that I just tell people is that they need to pause. And the reason why is because a lot of people are insecure and they just rush or they end up, and one of the reasons why they don't go on to camera is because they feel like, well, you know, I'm going to end up saying, well, you know, like a whole bunch of fillers. And I just, oh, I listened to my my video. I videoed myself and I was, you know, I was all over the place. And I, I you know, I kept on saying anyways and anyways, or, uh, or, uh, there's four different types of fillers, elongation, where you extend a word, ums, where you say, um, Garbage words, like anyways, one time I spoke and a teenager came up to me when I was like 25 and said, did you realize that you said the word anyways 28 times? So we have extra a words. Of, uh, a lot of uh, millennials and younger say like a lot as filler. Right. And so all these different types of elongation or st- stammer where, where, where you, you repeat yourself like that. And when you listen to yourself you realize that you do all these fillers and it takes away that that confidence. So if you begin to pause, it will replace the fillers. If you begin to pause, it draws in the audience you're talking to. It also helps you remember something that you need to say. So if you want to speak with greater confidence, remember three different sources. The third one, the last one, is skills. There's a whole bunch of things that you can do skillfully. And I mentioned a couple of them right here, your vocal variety, making sure that you're not monotonous, pausing, eye contact, speaking to one, just like Rebecca said. The second thing is your your messaging. And that's the way that you organize the content. So many people feel like because they understand what they're saying. Like, I know this concept. I know nutrition. I know beauty. I know style. I know communication. I know engineering. I know architecture. And because they realize it and they know what they're working on, they feel like they'll be able to organize and put it out there for others. But just because you know something doesn't mean you know how it's organized so that others can pick it up. So if you want to get confident in communication, making sure that not only you know, but also that you know how you're going to say it. So when you do uh, live content, do you have like a little post-it or note card behind the camera that has like your three key points? No, I, I don't do it like that. But yeah. I will say when I was doing live content, like right now, I put a pause on my podcast and my my YouTube. But what I would typically do is I would say, okay, I want to talk about this topic right here. And I would outline it. And then I would internalize the outline. Mm-hmm. So yeah. maybe, maybe what I'd say is, okay, I want to talk about what are the five things that you make you successful? <clears throat> or or this back up, I'd say, I want to talk about what makes you successful. What are What's going to drive success? 
But instead of me just getting up there and starting to try to externalize my internal thoughts, I would instead first organize my thoughts. Okay, there's five different things. I write them down and then I'd write down a couple of thoughts about each one, a couple bullet points. Now I'm not going to try to walk through these in a completely linear fashion. I'm going to hit on the big five and then these bullet points are going to inform my my big buckets that I'm speaking to. And so then my my mind is organized for that. Or if I'm putting on a spot, such as in, in an interview like this, and thank you so much for having me on your interview. Sure. In this kind of instance, I'm going to rely on a system to answer a question. And so in my book, Speak with Confidence, I talk about different systems that you can use when you're put on the spot, such as being short and to the point mm-hmm. or answering the question with a story or breaking it down into three points or asking a question back, which gives you time to think. But you have different systems, which then allow you to organize your thoughts so that you're getting your content out in a way that's organized for others. I love it. Now, one of my favorite shows is Ozark, and I'm so excited. Tomorrow, I'm going to a reception with the entire cast and showrunner in Hollywood because I'm in SAG, so I'm a union member. I still get some perks, even though I'm not working as an actress much these days. I was reading a little bit about your bio, and it reminds me of Ozark because you had this, like, you know, regular like American family. And then if I read this correctly, they moved to Mexico and became drug smugglers turned missionaries. Well, yeah, so, so back up, we didn't move to Mexico to become <laughs> drug smugglers. So actually I was, I was 15 years old and I was not making some of the best decisions in my life. And my okay. mom pulls me over to the dinner table and we're, we're living in Mexico at the time as missionaries. And my parents are super conservative at that point in time, super religious at that point in time, super disciplined at that point in time. I mean, I would come home three minutes late and get grounded for three months. So it was like pretty intense. And so my mom pulls me over to the dinner table and she goes, Mike, I think it's time that you learn our story. And I said, okay, yeah, I mean, you guys are Christians and you know, I know grandma and grandpa and I know grandma and, you know, the grandpa died. Yeah, I know you guys' story. I know where you went to school. And she goes, your dad was a drug smuggler. Whoa. And then she goes on to tell me about these stories and my mouth is just dropping. So his story was that to pay his way through college, he learned that instead of just working at a place for minimum wage, he could go get some marijuana. And he could bring it to parties. This is the hippie days, right? Mm-hmm. And he would make way more money. And then he realized that if he could cut out the middleman and he could go down to Mexico himself or Colombia himself. So he learned how to fly and he taught himself Spanish so that he could go down to these countries and then he would bring get the marijuana straight there and then bring it back and make a lot more money. So he did that for a number of years or he may or may not have done that for a number of years, I should say. <laughs> he, he also wrote a book. It's called Pirates, Scoundrels, and Saints. And in it, when I read it about all this drug smuggling stuff. That's a I'm like, great title. That sounds like my love life before I got married. Pirates, Scoundrels, <laughs> Saints. Well, well, when you read it, there's a, there's a lot of romance in it. I was like, oh, dad, <laughs> wow. <laughs> 
and and he was quite the quite the hippie. So he met my mom, and then they did this life together. They had several boats and planes. He spent a little bit of time in this jail and spent crashed this flight right here, lost this boat, and all kinds of stories of what happened. And it's really remarkable is that they when they decided to have kids, my mom was a witch at this time too. So, so she's doing seances and stuff. Right. So before I was born, my parents were like, well, we probably should change up our lifestyle if we're going to have kids. And so they got into legal drugs, coffee, and they started (laughs) a coffee company. And then around the age of when I was about four and a half or so, they both had radical conversion experiences and became committed followers of Jesus. And we're not talking like political Christians or just like church going Christians. We're talking about like, let's go take care of the poor and the needy. And let's go do soup kitchens and visit the elderly and nursing homes that have been forgotten. So I was raised in that environment. So when we went to Mexico, it was to act on that. But all of a sudden, a lot of things made sense. And, and this ties back to that confidence. Okay. So remember, I have, I've learned some skills of becoming a person who can articulate in Spanish and also overcome in sp- uh, speech impediment. I'm learning how to organize my thoughts better. That's mostly in my young 20s. But also, the third source of confidence and communication is your identity. It's how you see yourself. Mm-hmm. It's how you perceive yourself. And how you perceive yourself is how others will often receive you. And how you perceive yourself is how you will show yourself. So if you think you're a person of value, then you also show yourself as a person of value. If you overvalue yourself, think about like high celebrity culture. Sometimes you come across really haughty and you show yourself that way. But if you have a good, honest assessment of who you are, if you have good, honest assessment of your values and your balance, that you're beautiful, that you, you know yourself and you know why you're worthy, then you're able to show up that way in relationships, in potential relationships, in business, and elsewhere. One of the number one reasons why people are insecure in confidence is because they only have a vague idea of who they are offstage. So when they go up on stage, they are letting other people define themselves instead of living by their own definition of who they are. Mm -hmm. So for me, I grew up in the shadows of an extremely charismatic father, extremely charismatic, probably one of the most interesting people I know. And yet here I'm looking at myself going, well, I'm not him. And it took me a while for me to realize who am I? I'm not my dad, but there's things that my dad has given me. I'm not my mom, but the things that my mom has given me. I'm not that person or that person. Who am I? What's my identity? And the more I came to terms with my uniqueness, my strengths, my weaknesses, my peculiarities, my incredibleness, my value, my lack of value, where I'm not valuable at, because I'm not valuable when it comes to cars, for example. So that's not a place I'm going to feel very good and valuable to people if I'm speaking on that issue. It's going to be very short. I like cars. <laughs> it's a very short. But the more you know yourself, the more confident you can be with yourself. So those are the three sources. I've had to learn those in this really crazy lifestyle of growing up in that family. <laughs> and I've had to learn that then in making so many mistakes. But if you can shore up on any three of those sources of confidence, you're going to feel more confident on stage and you're going to feel more confident off stage. Now, when you say Ozark, I sometimes I think about the story of my dad and I go, man, 
there should be a movie made about my dad. Yeah. It's written in the book, but I'm like, you should write a real life book. It would be even more interesting. Or a series. So if any of my Hollywood friends are listening, contact Mike so he can get you in touch to option his dad's book for a, for a limited series or a movie. Hey, you never know what can happen on the Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant show. I do want a producer credit if I, you know, created this uh, connection. So how how did growing up in Mexico affect what you call your executive presence and what is executive? We all want to be seen as confident, C-suite, have this wonderful presence that makes people want to like, know, and trust us and do business with us. How did growing up in Mexico help you get it and how can we get it? Yeah, so in Mexico, I really had to dive into who I was. Now, what executive presence is, it's two different words. Executive is top-level leadership. It's top-level ability to execute, get something done. Presence is the way that you come across. It's the way you show up. So you're marrying together these two ideas. Essentially, you're marrying together the ideas of leadership and communication. So when I had very poor communication and couldn't stand up in front of people, my presence was diminished. When I was letting other people define me as a class clown, my executive aspect, my leadership was diminished. But when I started getting out there and executing on my ideas and putting myself out there, knowing my value and leading, my executive presence started to increase. When I got more comfortable and confident in my skills, my presence increased. Executive presence is the combination of your leadership and your communication. It's the ability to do something and to be seen as someone who does something. So if you think about Steve Jobs, what did he execute? He built Apple. He led a group of people. He he brought people into this reality distortion field. He led, but he also spoke. He came up with this incredible little slogan about the original iPod. And he said, it's a thousand songs in your pocket. He looked people in the room. He stood with great posture. He breathed in an incredible, profound way. He projected, enunciated. He held himself. He articulated, gesticulated, walked. He held himself and communicated in a powerful way with a great message. And he knew himself. So he had all three aspects, identity, message, skills. He walks up, communicates. His presence is huge. His execution is huge. Executive presence. There's a lot of people who have one side or the other. They might have great leadership, execution, but because they can't communicate, they can't get it out there, their executive presence is diminished. So think about maybe you're listening right now, you're watching this and you're thinking, yeah, you know, I've developed this, I've got this but it hasn't gone anywhere. And maybe it's because your communication is actually pulling down your leadership. Your lack of communication is diminishing your execution. Now, maybe you're a great person who presents well. And often what happens if you're a great person who presents well, it actually temporarily pulls up your execution. You you look at this person and you go, man, they're a fantastic communicator. Let's, let's, let's do something with them. And you start working for that person and you realize, oh man, it's it's a whole bunch of presence, but no execution. And there's quick turnover. Mm-hmm. 
But when you have great presentation, great presence, great execution, you get executive presence, and it's amazing what can be done. Can people have an executive presence before they have any people following them? And that is what creates a company or a movement or an empire? So it really depends because if you think about the word leadership, I think it's um, John Maxwell. He says, if, if you call yourself a leader, but look behind you and no one's following you, you're not leading, you're just taking a walk. So where is that leadership showing up? Yeah. Now it could be that you're when it comes down to being executive. For example, a good friend of mine named Paul. It was just him and his brother working some odd jobs for people, and they were executing really well. They weren't leading a whole company at the time. Now they do. They weren't leading a whole company, but they were leading the job. They were leading the details. They were leading their customers well into into knowing that they were going to do. They were executing extremely well self-leadership they had fantastic self-leadership fantastic results just him or just the two of them now because they did that so well and because they had great presence then the execution drew more and more people at first it was just steve jobs and steve Wozniak, and then because the execution and the presence was there people were drawn to them so eventually executive presence draws people around us and whether we're a solopreneur who are have a lot of clients who are hiring us as a consultant or whether we're ceos building a a large company and eventually that executive presence will draw people there are different levels of executive presence so there are some people who are going to be top end like a steve jobs like a like a president or something that's going to be leading on a huge level but you can have executive presence on a much smaller microcosm like being a stay-at-home parent or being a an author and you're going to have great presence and great execution in that smaller area i think you really before you can lead anyone have to lead yourself like you said self-leadership being a highly productive highly effective person and reaching your own personal health and financial goals and relationship goals. And so if you're listening to this and you're like, well, I don't know about leadership, why don't you focus first on leading yourself and helping yourself reach the goals that you want to attain? We're still in the beginning of 2023. And then once you master self-leadership, then you can move into the, the executive presence that Mike was talking about. I have another question. You mentioned in several of your books, the quote, where you are is not where you stay. What does that mean to you? Yeah, this comes from really in in, in all aspects. I mean, it goes from my parents, right? Mm -hmm. So here they're in the spot where they're in this illicit lifestyle, but just because they were there doesn't mean they had to stay there. This also goes for confidence and communication. A lot of the clients that I work with are mid to high level professionals who are lacking in their ability to communicate to the level of their leadership. And so they'll come to me like, you know, I'm tired of this. I'm frustrated. I have to ask my supervisor to talk to the C-suite instead of me. And that's just embarrassing. Or, you know, I'm a CEO. I lead a company that's a huge company. And some of my clients have these amazing companies. And yet, you know, I can't get myself out there. And and what's wrong with me? Well, these are places where people are. So right now, where are you? Is it 
you're, you're nervous as a communicator. You fear rejection. Maybe it's maybe it's a physical fitness thing. Maybe it's a budget thing. But where you are is not where you have to stay. If you feel like you're stuck, you're going to stay stuck. If you think you're stuck, you're not going to try to get out. Uh, recently, my son had something going on with school. And he was looking up for like why this happened. What what made this situation happen? And he's only seven years old. And he's thinking about something. What is he looking for? He's looking for a scapegoat. Because if he can blame someone else, then he doesn't have to do anything to change the situation. Now, as adults, no matter how high we get, we're still humans. And so at times we look for scapegoats. Well, it's the economy that hit me. It's this that happened. And so we let that keep us there. We have an excuse for staying where we are. But what I want you to know is where you are is not where you have to stay. So if you're stuck, if you feel like you can't move forward, where you are is not where you have to stay. Three things are going to get you out of that spot. Awareness, awareness of one, that you don't have to stay there, that you can get unstuck. Let me just quickly say this in terms of physical fitness, because this is a journey that I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get more physically fit and run a marathon this year. But I had a friend who weighed 270 pounds and she was, by the way, this is not like a personal story because it was written like a a confidential story because this was on the cover of People Magazine a few years (laughs) back. So, but she was weighed 270 pounds and she thought she was stuck. She just thought that's what her that's what her body was. She couldn't do anything. She moved over to Scotland and everybody kept on walking everywhere and they didn't have processed food in the same way as America. And after a couple months, she had lost something like 20 pounds. And she's like, oh my gosh, I don't have to stay in that spot. So where you are is not where you have to stay. It starts with this awareness. Then you got to get the right knowledge. Okay, what knowledge do you need to access or to learn to grow that next area. For example, if you want to be an engineer, if you're like, hey, I can't make any more money, I want to be an engineer, um, that's a path that would make me more money. Okay, so awareness that you're in a path that maybe you're working retail, <laughs> it's not making that much, but an engineer will, and it's always valuable. So your awareness, knowledge, well, now it's time for you to go pursue a degree in engineering. It's not just something like, huh, I need to be an engineer. Now I'm an engineer. No, you have to pursue the knowledge. Now that's a very formal path, but it could also be a path of how do you write a book? How do you get up on stage and organize a thought, your thoughts? So you got the knowledge. And then after that, so you got a knowledge, you get practice. You got to put in the time. Maybe it's you want to start a podcast. Well, you don't start the first time and just tune in. No, there's got to be some knowledge and then you got to practice. You got to practice interviewing, practice speaking, practice your setup, practice, 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 practice. And then you get feedback and it brings you back to awareness. Awareness, knowledge, practice. And awareness, knowledge, practice. Feedback, awareness, knowledge, practice. What's amazing is when we practice a whole bunch, we tend to think, man, I'm pretty good at this now. And then we get this feedback loop and it brings us down to some awareness of where we're not quite where we need to be. It happens every single time I watch myself after giving a keynote. I'm like, that was great. Then I watch the video of my keynote and I'm like, all right, some awareness right there. Okay. What knowledge do I need to get? What do I need to practice? That's great. So you mentioned you had some, you know, foot and mouth episodes when you were in your twenties, starting your speaking career. 
if you could sit down with the 18-year-old version of Mike Acker, what advice would you give him about life? Not to take so everything so seriously. This is some great wrap-up advice for everybody here today is just not taking yourself so seriously. It's it's just not that big of a deal. And I beat myself up over a whole bunch of things. I remember I listened to one one time I spoke at an event and listened to myself and I lay on the floor cringing about how bad it was. You know what? Who cared? Really just me. So when you look out at this and you look at your life and remember, don't take yourself so seriously. Give yourself a lot of grace. As long as you're moving forward somewhat in life and it's even maybe two steps forward, one and a half steps back, give yourself some grace. Even Yeah, push yourself, push yourself, but also don't take yourself so seriously that you take the fun out of life. That's great advice to end on. How one more thing, last question. I know you got a hard stop in three minutes. Just quickly, can you touch on how to handle criticism, either self-criticism, criticism or other people's criticism? And then yeah. yeah. And actually, this is in my book on Speak with Confidence that was just came out two months ago. It's got hundred and something reviews already. And in the book, I talk about having a filter. So don't flee from the criticism. Don't fight it. Don't just sit and feel it. Filter it through these words. What do you appreciate about yourself? Mm. In fact, someone criticizes you, you might actually appreciate that aspect about yourself. So someone says, you know, I don't, I don't like your, you know, I like Lizzo. She, people will criticize her weight. She's like, I love how I look. I love <laughs> myself. Like, good for you. You appreciate that. So know what you appreciate about yourself with grounded reason. Why is that good? Why is that a good aspect of you? Second one, what do you accept? If you criticize something, you go, you know what? It's true. That takes away the sting of criticism. If I've already made peace with it, if you say, Mike, you know, I don't like your hair. It's your forehead is increasing in its size. Like, it's true. Okay, what do you do about that? So if you already accept what someone criticizes, criticizes, it's going to take out the power of the punch. And the third is if someone says something like, Hey, I don't like this about you. And you're like, me either. But I'm actually working with a coach right now to get better on that. Once again, it's taking out the power of that punch by saying, I accept it and I'm doing something about it. So what do you appreciate about yourself? What do you accept about yourself? What do you need to improve about yourself? You do need all these buckets to be around the same. So if you think about it on a scale of one to 100, they need to be you know 20 to 40. You don't want one at 90. Too much, too much appreciation, you're a narcissist. Too much acceptance, you're a victim. Too much improvement, you're an imposter. You want a little bit of each of them so that you have a well-rounded response to the criticism that may or may not come. Great advice on how to handle criticism. This interview has been so informative and inspiring. I know my audience is going to want to stay in touch with you. What is the best way for them to find you online? Yeah, you can find me at mikeacker.com on YouTube, on Instagram. And that's D-O-T-com on all my social media channels on LinkedIn. You can also find me at MikeAcker.com, the website. And then you can find all of my books on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or elsewhere. And there's a whole bunch of them. Speak with Confidence is a lot about what I've been saying. It comes from that book. And I think it'd be very helpful to everybody.
Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I know you got to go. You got another appointment. You have been listening to the Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant show. I'm your host, Rebecca Whitman. We're taking you from overworked, stressed out, and burned out to Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant. We'll see you next week with another amazing guest. And until we meet again, keep your vibe high and your hands clean. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant show. Please rate, subscribe, and review this podcast. If you or someone you know feels stuck and needs more abundance and balance in their life, please go to my link tree in the show notes to schedule your complimentary breakthrough call. I look forward to hearing from you and we'll see you on the next podcast episode.